Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. And with that, would you also welcome today uh, Jeremy. He's going to come. I set him up last week with the uh, idea that he was going to answer every question about fairness and justice in the world today. And uh, while he's not going to do that, where that's a tall, too tall of a tale to do, uh, not a tale. It's exactly. He's going to do an excellent job of weeding through this in a way that I think I, 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 I heard in the first service. Uh, he's going to lead us through a really excellent way to think and feel and act towards this issue and towards God and cut through all the peripheral stuff. And so would you just welcome him and listen to him? Thank you, Russ. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, this weekend was good. Um, how many of you ladies were able to go on the women's retreat? Yeah, I was, yeah, it was, I heard it was a great event. I wasn't there, thankfully. Um, but, uh, I did, I did stay back. It's interesting because once the, the ladies departed, I noticed on Facebook, there was like all of these different guys who were like, now what am I going to eat for dinner? And, uh, you know who you are. Um, anyway, I actually had the same interaction with myself. I was like, what am I, what am I cooking for the kids? I don't know what to do. Um, but one of the things that happened this weekend that I was really excited about, um, and this, this happened last year too. Once the women get away and, and Lillian gets down for bed, Lofton and I, my son and I, we get to spend a lot of time together. And, and, uh, so far that we've done this twice now, we, um, we crawled into, to my bed and we watched Empire Strikes Back together. And it was, it's such, it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, you're, um, crazy, but, uh, cause it is fantastic, but it was, it was so much fun. We really just enjoyed you know the the drama of the whole thing and and uh, Lofton's favorite character is Yoda and my favorite character is Chewbacca which is totally perfect for our household because you know Chewie's the guy that that everyone tells him what to do and he just does it you know and then Yoda of course is the one that knows everything and um, he tells everyone what to do which is Lofton's character uh, in in our household and um no, but we, we really had a good time because I'm using this moment to, uh, to start to teach him about the forces of good and evil. And, and, uh, and he's really smart. He's four years old and he's, he's figuring out the themes within the movie and even, even through the music. Like when the empire comes up and the music's like, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, Lofton, what's happening now? And he's like, the bad guys are coming, you know, and then the rebel forces come and it's, da, da, da. And, and I'm sorry, forgive me, but it's exciting for me. And he's like, oh, the good guys are coming. And, and, and I love these moments because it's, you know, it's just a really fun way to teach him about the truth of, of good and evil in the world. And, and, um, and actually today we're going to be dealing with that. You know, this, this idea, this question of, of, I believe in God, but I just don't think he's fair. I think it really boils down to a, a lot of the truth about good and evil. And, and, uh, and, you know, last week Ross talked about, uh, you know, prayer and, and really just encouraging us, uh, to, 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 to focus, to reframe prayer in our lives. And, and, um, I, I was really challenged just thinking about how I can be more consistent in my attention to God and inviting him into all of those moments in my life. But I was, I was still, I still left that service scratching, you know, like scratching my head saying, but there's still more to this. There, there really is more that I'm, I'm struggling with. You know, it's that, it's that moment of, of really just asking God, but where were you, God, 
in this moment. You know, that, that, um, that, that time in our life when we're experiencing something painful or unfair or something that we have to suffer through. You know, the, the evil that exists in our world that, that, you know, just intersects with our lives and, and it can sometimes con- consume us. And I think that every person on the planet has dealt with some issued concerning evil. They, we've all experienced something there, you know, whether it's the persecution at the hands of terrorists, uh, disease that claims uh, an innocent child, uh, torture and slavery that innocent people have to, to face every day. I mean, just this week I read an article uh, about, you know, these two people in Reynoldsburg, just down the road, who had enslaved and tortured and raped uh, these women, these innocent women. Evil is everywhere. And, and, and um, those of us who, who believe in the power of prayer, we get down on our knees and we pray for our loved ones. And yet we, we really know that there's still no guarantee that, that um, something bad isn't going to happen to them. You know, and, and one of the harder things about uh, pastoring is that uh, not only do I have the evil that intersects with my world, but I also hear about all of your stories. And, and, it, and it's hard to shoulder that burden. I'm happy to and, and, and I want to, but, but it's difficult. And I know that suffering exists here in this community. And so this morning, I want to address it. I want to, I want to talk about it. And, and I think that the best way for us to do it is, is to really, um, keep it narrow. Like, let's focus in on one thing because we, there, evil can exist in so many different ways, right? Is it, is it ISIS? Is it suicide? Is it cancer? Is it trafficking? Human trafficking? Is it abuse? I mean, it could be all these different things. And, and when we can't really pinpoint what it is, I think sometimes we, we walk away with trite answers. And so, um, I want to, I want to be really specific this morning, and I want to tell you an eyewitness account of a story that happened um, in around 1945. And, and uh, there was this young girl who was captured by Nazi soldiers in Warsaw, Poland. She and her mother were captured, and she was a, a beautiful young girl. Her name was Zosia, and uh, one of the soldiers noticed how beautiful her eyes were. In fact, he, he thought they were so um, uh, deep and, and mesmerizing that they looked like they had diamonds in them. That's what he was quoted as saying, and, and uh, he said, you know, I'd like to uh, make a ring for my wife out of the diamonds that are in her eyes. And, and, uh, and so what he did was he had one of his soldier friends hold down Zosha while he took her eyes out, while he gouged them out. Meanwhile, Zosha's mother is standing there beside her, witnessing this whole event, praying to God the whole time that, that he would intervene in the midst of this. But Zosha was left blind and bloody. And and because of course now she's disabled because she can't see she's of no use to the to the Nazis as a slave and so they ended up killing her. We're talking about pure evil here. As this torture was happening and her mother was crying out to God for him to intervene and yet God didn't. Now now no one I, I believe can can deny that this is pure evil and and when I read this story evil isn't isn't amorphous it's not nameless now it's it's embodied in in Zosha and her mother and I think that we can get to this place where we can now ask God why would you not step into this atrocity why weren't you there why didn't you intervene where are you God I want to pray for us this morning as we get started because I know that this could be Heavy, And so I just want to invite his presence here with us. So if you'll pray with me. Dear God, uh, I, I want to lift up to you um, 
all of the pain and suffering that we as a church have faced, that we experience, that we will experience. I pray that, that you would uh, be with us. Make your presence known here today. Pray that you would hear our cries, that you would, um, that you would be attentive to our sadness, to our desperation, to our fear, our pain, our weakness, our suffering. Come be with us now, Creator God. We invite you into this space, into this place. Come sit with us. Prince of Peace, still our hearts. Come show us your mercy, O loving God. We pray that we might tune our hearts and our ears and our minds to you so that we can experience you right in the midst of our pain. And we pray that you would answer our question, where are you, God? We thank you for your son and we pray these things in his name. Amen. Now, I think uh, what many of us wrestle with is understanding the true nature of God. When it comes to this question, you know, I believe in you, God, but I'm not sure if you're fair. Um, it really, it's, it's just, uh, I think it's a, an understanding of his true nature. You know, how can a good God or how can a loving God who is in control of everything allow this kind of stuff to happen? And, and, and I know those are great questions and I, and I want us to answer those, but, but I, I, and I think that they lead us to the, to the tension that we face today and possibly a false assumption, a false assumption that many of us make believing that God meticulously controls everything in our lives. It's that, that, that he's, he's controlling the ever, everyday comings and goings our our you know, all the things that we do. It's kind of like the idea that, um, you know, this morning when I woke up, um, I put on black socks and the reason that I put on black socks is because God willed it to be right. You know, I didn't even have a choice to put on blue socks. Even if I was dressing in the dark, fumbling around, trying not to wake up my wife and I accidentally grab blue socks. It doesn't matter because it's God's will that I'm going to wear black socks. So therefore I'm going to wear black socks. You understand what I'm saying? You know, and I, I, it's, it's this, this idea that, that God is in control of every nuance and moment of our life. And, and honestly, when, with something as minuscule as dressing in the morning, this view of God is relatively harmless. But when we take this same thinking and we expand it to the story of Zosha or to some other evil in our life, I think that's where we run into a problem. Because we're having to define what love really is and what good actually is. I mean, can a good God or a loving God meticulously control Zosha's situation? And if he is, then a significant problem arises for us. Because to me, it would seem like a good and loving God would want to protect Zosha from that kind of evil. So I think maybe there's a better question for us that we can ask. Instead of how can a good and loving God cause this evil to happen, maybe we can ask the question of how can evil exist with a good and loving God who is in control of everything. Some may hear this question and think, well, that's just the same thing. No, no, no. I want us to put the emphasis here on the evil and how it can exist in our world that God has created. And I think this is really where we want to be because this is ultimately where many of the scriptures take us. We have multiple occurrences of the demonic influence in the world throughout the Bible. And I'm going to fly through a bunch of scripture today, but um, uh, and I'm not going to teach on each of the pieces. I just want it to, to really establish this pattern in scripture. 
you know, establish this pattern of the reality that, that, that the demonic is intersecting with our world. Okay. Um, I'm going to start here in, uh, Job chapter one. You can turn with me. All the scriptures are going to be on the screen. If you just want to write them down and go back to them later, that's, that's also, um, a possibility. So Job chapter one, verse one, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, this story it continues in the next few verses to talk about who Job, Job is and all that he owns and how um, significant he is to all the people around him because he's so wealthy. In fact, um, it, it says it says that, that he is the wealthiest man in the East. And then enters the story, this group of angelic beings that come before God. Verse 6 says this, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, well, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But if you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, this text is full of stuff, and, and I'm not going to spend too much time teaching here. I just want to draw out two things that are that are important. And, and the first and, and most notable is the presence of Satan, okay? Um, you know, he, he's an evil agent walking around on the earth to and fro, and he's doing it of his own freedom. Satan has the ability to do this. He's not controlled meticulously by God. He's able to walk and choose and do. And it's interesting because we also experience the same thing with Job. Job is free to choose God or to choose evil. And, and God is, is, is excited that Job chose him instead of something else. I mean, that, that's really why the, the Lord is so proud of Job. In fact, um, it's, it's this, this idea that, that, that God isn't afraid of what Job's going to do and what his response is going to be if he loses all of this stuff because he already knows Job's heart. He knows that, that Job has chosen him. He's not forced into anything, and, and neither is Satan. Um, there's, there is a whole lot here, but um, let's go ahead and move on. I want to move into Daniel uh, chapter 10. Starting in verse 12, this is a, a, a really crazy picture, but it's, it's awesome. Um, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Now, this is this is a story here in Daniel 12. It's, in a, it's a description of Daniel's interaction with an angel, an angel that was dispatched to him because he was praying in intercession for God's people. 
Uh, he's interceding for them, and this angel is on his way. And while he's going to Daniel, he gets into a fight with another angel, an evil angel. In fact, um, when the scripture references uh, the prince of Persia or the king um, kingdom of Persia, uh, it's 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 this um, patron angel of this realm that's based on their pagan ritual um, worship. And, and, and the, the angel that, um, that fought this other angel, his name was Dubabil. I can't say that. It's really weird, but, um, Dubabil. There's two B's in there. It's hard to say. Um, anyway, so, so what's happening here is there's this description of spiritual warfare that's happening, um, here with Daniel. And Daniel, because of that, has to wait 21 days to hear from the Lord so that these angels can duke it out. Now, I know that this sounds crazy to us. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, we live and breathe the Western notions of, you know, the, the naturalism and enlightenment thinking. These texts, they sound much more like uh, mythology. But in the world of the Old Testament, and as I'm going to present in a minute, the world of the New Testament, they understood a very different reality. And, and, and because of what we now experience through um, our access to so much information, our ever-shrinking world, you know, we know how much evil is really um, experienced all over the planet. And I think that we have to begin to reconsider that what the Enlightenment would consider myth, it may possibly be reality. After all... Those of us who believe in an incarnate God coming to earth, dying on a cross, being resurrected, ascending back into a transcendent heaven only to return one day so that we can experience eternal connection with God. Those people who believe that, we must recognize that there has to be some other plane of reality, right? And this is how I would describe it. You know, we've got transcendence that's up there, the intermediary kind of in the middle, and our prime reality. Transcendence is where God exists. This is the heavens. This is a place where there, there is no time. It's, it's his realm where, where he rules. And then the intermediary is this space. It's, it's, it's what, um, Jesus went through in order to come from the transcendent area or realm into our prime reality. This is the place where where all of the angelic beings exist, where the spiritual warfare is happening. And then finally, we have our prime reality, which is um, the natural world, the things that we can see, touch, taste, hear, feel. It's the things that we know. It's the here and now. In this structure, um, I think we need to recognize that there's a battle going on around us. Let's listen to what some of the New Testament voices say about this battle. In Mark 9, Jesus is about to cast out a demon out of a mute boy. Uh, Verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams on the ground, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? 
bring him to me. Uh, Jesus is so funny here because he's kind of like, I mean, he's frustrated. You know, he's like, you have the power to do this. You can do it. You know, how many times do I have to do this? Ultimately, I think even with this statement, uh, Jesus is, is foreshadowing a truth that's to come, that he's not going to be with the disciples forever. He's not going to be with the church forever. And it's going to be their job to do this very thing. It's going to be the job of the church to do this kind of work. Verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. (laughs) And Jesus said to him, if you can. (laughs) Oh, he's so funny. Yeah, come on. Come on. Of course I can do this. I'm in control of all this. All things are possible for one who believes. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Happening in the intermediary realm, spiritual battle, Jesus casting out demons out of a little boy. Or if we look uh, into Matthew 6, we read, um, as Jesus is teaching us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he acknowledges that the will of the Father cannot be assumed to be done here on the earth. And so, therefore, we have to pray for it to be done. And not only that, but we would ask God to deliver us from the evil one. That's, that's Satan, Matthew 6 and 9, 6 verse 9 and following. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, which is also a really powerful statement when you think about it. Natural beings in the prime reality relying on a transcendent God to give them everything that they need. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is Satan. Jesus recognizes that we need to be praying to the Father who is in heaven all the time for what's happening in the transcendent um, or intermediary reality in our prime reality. And finally, Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 He's sad that he's not been back to see the church in Thessalonica like he wanted to because he's been hindered by Satan. Verse 17, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. But I, Paul, again and again, couldn't because Satan hindered us. 
Now, there's many more scriptures throughout the Old and the New Testament that speak to this same kind of interaction that's happening in this intermediary world. Um, and so no way this is an exhaustive list. You can kind of look through this. Um, but it does paint a very clear picture of this spiritual warfare, this, this activity that's happening. The evil that we experience in our world is something that, that we do have to deal with. Now, I want to spend some time with just one more passage. Uh, and this is in, in Matthew chapter 16. And this is this is really a great passage because it's Christ telling us precisely what we as the church need to be doing, what we need to be engaging in as his body of followers. Okay, so Jesus is, is with his disciples and he's outlining for them the very real spiritual battle that's raging all around them and what they need to do to stop it. Um, beginning in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, Cephas, rock. And on this rock, I will build my house, my, my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the king, uh, keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, this is an interaction with a great meaning, and I want to paint a picture for you of what's going on so that we can draw out some of that meaning and understand what's going on. So just imagine with me the disciples are walking uh, with Jesus in this lush area about 25 miles from Galilee where their prime ministry was. They're kind of outside of their normal zone, and, uh, and at this point they've spent several years with Jesus, learning from him, following him, doing the things that he has done, okay? And, um, and he is about to release them into the world without him by their side. Following this time when he's with his disciples, he knows that he's going to go into Jerusalem soon, that there's going to be a last supper, that he's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to the Father that his will would be done and not Jesus's. And, and, um, and then He's going to be handed over to the Roman guards. He's going to be hung on a cross. He's going to die. He's going to breathe his last breath. He'll be uh, put in a tomb, resurrected, meet with his um, followers, give them their parting moments and words, and then he's going to ascend back into heaven to be with the Father until he returns to us. But before all of that happens, before all of that happens, he meets with them, and he gives them kind of what is like a, a final commencement speech. Before they leave college and go off into the real world and realize that it's hard, that there's bills and responsibility and they've got to, they've got to work for, for what they're going to get. And so what Jesus does is he's painting them this most realistic picture of what they will be doing after he's gone, which is to be building a community of people who follow, trust, and do what Jesus did. And what Jesus did was attack the gates of hell and overcome death and pain. And so there they stand in Caesarea Philippi. This is a town that's most noted for its pagan activities and rituals. The disciples 
would have been questioning Jesus about why he's bringing them to this place. This is, this is a, this is a different place for them. They, they don't want to be there. They don't want to be associated with it. This is the very place where every pagan believed was the entrance to the underworld. Okay. They, they were standing in front of a cave known as the gates of hell. I have a picture of it here. And, and this is close to where they may have been standing when Jesus is telling them this. And, and, and what the people of Caesarea Philippi would do is they, they believed that this is where the fertility gods would go um, to hibernate during the winter. Okay, so the the gods of the of Hades, the gods of hell, they would go in there during winter. And this place is known as uh, the gate of the dead. And all these crazy sex cults of these fertility gods, they would engage in these horrible deeds right in front of this place, trying to entice these fertility gods back out in the spring, trying to bring them back to them. You can imagine the kind of things that they would do. This is, this is a place of serious depravity. And Jesus is standing there making this bold statement. He's saying, here on this rock... I will build my church. And yeah, he meant Peter. Um, he, he understood that Peter's going to be a capstone for the church and he's going to have a, a ton of authority over the church. But he also meant here, specifically um, in this place, right where we are in front of a demonic stronghold. And the walls that protect the evil will fall down because of the attack of the church. Greg Boyd, a pastor and author who wrote God at War, says it this way. Jesus was about aggressively breaking down satanic fortresses wherever he finds them. In people's lives, in families, in churches, and in societies at large, the church is to expand the rule of God on the authority of Christ by binding evil and setting people free. In a word, our charter as the church is to live out a theology of revolt. This is what Jesus is saying to his followers, to his disciples, that, that we have to be bold in how we live as Christians. We have a responsibility to fight against the evil that's in our world. And, and we can't confront evil if we're embarrassed about our faith, right? I mean, you want to know why I'm convinced that God doesn't meticulously control everything in the world? Because if he was, then I would be embarrassed to serve him. There is no logic in a good and loving God meticulously controlling everything, including evil. I don't think that kind of God can really coexist with evil because then he becomes an agent of evil. I would be embarrassed to serve that God, but but I'm not embarrassed to serve a God that's big enough to allow for his creation to choose to follow him or to turn from evil or turn from him to evil ways. I like a God who's that bold. See, I, I know that freedom exists and, and therefore evil has an opportunity to exist. And, and I, like probably everyone else in this room, experience evil. 
But I also know that there's this intermediary world where the spiritual battle is raging and there is a truth that the demonic forces understand and that is that Christ has risen from the grave, he has defeated death, and we have the same power to affect evil because we trust in Jesus. And and although there are moments in our lives where we experience Job-like pain or Daniel-like frustration, we can trust that there is a once and for all that's coming. It's it's a once and for all that Jesus will return and defeat death forever. So so we don't have to be ashamed of the God that we serve. We don't have to fear what death may bring us here. While it may hurt, it's not final. And and, and please let me remind you that it's the through the death of Jesus on the cross that brings us life. So if we're truly questioning God's fairness, let me resolve this right here. God is not fair. In no way is God fair because if he were, then we would all be dead. We would all be dead for our sins, for our transgressions, for our depravity, and we would all suffer for eternity. God is not fair because he lets us off the hook and he puts onto his only son our sin and he died on the cross. For our sins. In fact, Psalm 103, uh, verses 10 through 12 read this way. God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If we follow Jesus, we find eternal life. And while we're here on this earth, we have the opportunity and responsibility to bring life to those who are desperately in need of it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as many of you know, lost his life on April 9th, 1945, because he fought to preserve the lives of people like Zosha and her mother. He was tried and executed two weeks before the Allied forces liberated the concentration camp that he was in. Now, that's not fair. He stood trial because of his staunch resistance to the Nazi party and their treatment of the Jews. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer is quoted as saying, there remains an experience of incomparable value. We have for once learned to see the great events of the world history from below, from the perspective of the outcast, the suspects, the maltreated. In short, from the perspective of those who suffer. Mere waiting and looking on is not Christian behavior. Christians are called to compassion and to action. In other words, we are called as followers of Christ to attack the gates of hell like Christ called us to. We are to engage in the spiritual battle against evil. And we do it because we know we have the power to to bring light into this world. This is what I believe is our greatest disconnect with the Christian life. We were never once promised a life without pain on this side of eternity. We were promised that we were going to be entering into a spiritual battle. We need to reconsider what the Christian life truly is. It's a life of spiritual warfare. It's not enough for us to just sit and suffer, though we may need to, in order to be truly healthy but we must also move from a position of suffering into a position of prayer. It is good for us that God's not fair. It's good for everyone who suffers that he is not fair because we have the power of Christ 
to fight against the enemy and to destroy the tyranny of the wicked. We need to join with him in that battle. And often our first step into that battle is in our own lives in the places where we are hurting the most. I think much of the tension that we face in this initial question of God's fairness is derived from the belief that God is not with us in the midst of our pain and suffering. When pain happens to us in our lives, we tend to think that we're alone, and that only exaggerates the suffering that we experience. But the truth for Christians is that we are no longer separated from the love of God ever. God is always with us. Romans 8, 35-39 says... Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are always with God, and God is always with us. So the question for us to God becomes, God, where were you in the midst of that pain? Where were you in that moment? And this is something that I think that we need to explore in order to understand how to be healed. Something that we need to ask God about in our pain. Part of the healing for us is to understand right where Jesus was when we were being hurt. Because he was with us. That's the promise that we have. So let's ask him where he was in the midst of that. What was he doing when we were going through that pain? His answer may surprise us. And I think that we may find comfort in knowing how he was present with us, ministering to our needs and fighting for us in that moment. This is a type of prayer that's ultimately healing and restorative. And it can bring us to a place where we can address the darkness and fight against the evil that's at war with his church. Ultimately, a call to intercessory prayer like Daniel did uh, for his people. You know, can we learn to stand in the gap to fight against the forces of darkness that are plaguing this world? Well, if we can just trust in the power of Jesus and what he gives us through the power of his resurrection. And so today um, really is a day where we're called to prayer. Our prayers are heard. We can trust in that. And they are powerful through the blood of Christ So today, uh, you may need some time just to, to spend asking God, where were you in this moment of pain, this episode of pain for you? And I want you just to, to ask him that. Show me where your son was when I was experiencing this trouble, this suffering. In a moment, the worship team's gonna come. Actually, come on up, Dusty. And they're gonna play a song for us to, to reflect on. And, and, and during that time, I want us to just, to, to, to have a, um, a focused connection with our Savior. Personally, inviting Him into our moments of pain and suffering where we might be able to discover where He was with us in those moments. 
Maybe, maybe you're not in a place where you're really experiencing suffering or pain. Maybe, maybe you're in a place where, where you are one who's ready to stand in the gap for someone else. And if the Lord brings to you a, 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 a prayer of intercession, then I want to encourage you to step forward during this time of worship and grab someone to pray with you so that you can pray on behalf of someone else. And, and uh, today we're going just to engage with God. We're going to storm the gates of hell in this, these moments of worship, and we're going to push back the evil that's warring against the kingdom of God. So let's, let's invite the Holy Spirit here today just to guide our hearts, to guide our minds, to be present with Jesus, knowing where he was present with us in the midst of our pain and suffering. Will you please pray with me? God, thank you. For your presence. Thank you that we know that while you live in a transcendent place that's separated from us, we still have access to you. We still are connected to you. You are still very present with us in this intermediary realm. And I pray. God, that you would just reveal to our hearts how you have been with us in the midst of our pain and our suffering. While we may not have felt it at the time, we can trust and know that you were there with us. Show us where you were, Jesus. And I pray that you would embolden us, that you would give us courage to stand in the gap for others who are experiencing evil. I pray that you would give us words so that we can intercede for those people who are experiencing evil. I pray that we would be unashamed, unashamed to fight against the darkness that invades this place. Come to us now, Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. Show us how you are present with us. We pray this in your Son's wonderful and holy name. Amen. Let's worship and just reflect on um, where Jesus was with you in those moments of pain. And if you're called to to pray for someone else, then I, I just want to encourage you to, to, to find someone to pray with. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.